that we do at the Life Center over on the other side of town at uh, the end of 17th Street. Community festival is a way that we bring the community together. It's a carnival type atmosphere. We have carnival games, we have carnival food, but we raise funds for students in the Murfreesboro School District that sometimes slip through the cracks. I had a meeting a few years ago with one of the counselors over there and I found out about kids that didn't have, you know, they, they didn't have money for glasses, didn't have money for shoes, didn't have money. And the thing that really got to me is I didn't realize that a lot of our kids are homeless in Murfreesboro. We've got kids that go from friend to friend's house because otherwise they, they would be picked up and, and they wouldn't have a normal, they, this way they have some type of normalcy in their life or they, they stay with friends or, or relatives. They picked up some of the girls for shoplifting and they were shoplifting personal hygiene items because they didn't have funds to buy them. That's why we do this spring festival. So I'm encouraging you to come over, be a part of it. If you can't come and play a game, give a donation so it, that will take care of tickets. So we'll give those tickets out to other children and they can play and have a good time. And let's let this community know that we love them. Amen? Amen. All right. There's, there, there are flyers out in the lobby that you can uh, get a hold of if you'd like. We continue our series on all about him. And today I, wa I want to talk to you about, give me just a second. Have you ever had one of these things? That won't, ah, ha, oh, you rascal. You, there we go. Okay. Sometimes it's, you know, I think there's a little guy in there that just likes messing with you. We do want to, we want to uh, pray for Bobby Skidmore's family today. He lost his father, and let's just pray for them. Let's do that now. Can we do that? God, we just ask, Lord, that you smile on Bobby and his family, Lord, during this difficult time. Keep them in your care. Hold on to them and let them know that you love them. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, <clears throat> death is always a difficult thing to face, but there's hope in facing death when you know him. We've been talking the series all about him. And the truth is, is that that's been a play on words. It's about him, H-I-M. But there have been hymns, H-Y-M-N, that have been written throughout time that have told stories that were written literally out of the birth of tragic situations and circumstances, and they continue with us to this day. The story that I want to share with you today happened at the end of the Civil War. Chicago stood as a gateway to the American West, and commerce was booming along Lake Michigan. The population in that city tripled within a decade. Railroads connecting half of a continent intersected in the heart of Chicago. As Chicago grew, fortunes began to grow with it for those that had money to invest and knew how to invest. One of those men were Horatio Spafford. He was a lawyer from New York that had come to Chicago, and he understood real estate, and he knew a good investments when he saw it, and he began to purchase several properties. And in the process of time, he amassed a fortune doing that. But his words were that all the wealth that he had amassed in that real estate was just a small part of what he considered his wealth because he looked at his wife and his children and his faith in God as a major part of his fortune. Amen. Things seemed to be going well, for him, he was generous with his support he gave to his church. He had an evangelist friend by the name of Dwight L. Moody that he supported his ministry and gave to him and was a good friend with Reverend Moody. And everything seemed to be going along so fine, but how many of you know that you can go from calm to chaos in a moment? 
And beginning in 1871, his life would be devastated by a series of unbelievable tragedies. That winter, Horatio and his wife, Anna, lost their only son to scarlet fever. He died, and they were heartbroken. While they were still wrestling with that grief, in October of that year, within 24 hours, most of Chicago's downtown and north side's homes were destroyed. People were driven into Lake Michigan trying to escape the flames of the fire. 300 people would lose their lives. 98,000 people were left homeless. The fire virtually wiped out all of Spafford's real estate investments, yet despite his enormous losses after that fire, Horatio began to help his friends that had suffered even greater loss than he had. By the fall of 1873, Chicago's reconstruction was still years away from being completed. Horatio knew that Moody was going to England to continue his ministry, so he decided in November of that year that he would follow his friend and go to support his ministry and take his family with him, and he hoped that a change of scenery could help lift their spirits. So as they prepared to go, he bought six tickets on a French vessel that was a, a, one of the most luxurious liners in the world at that time. The day before they were supposed to go, Horatio received word that he was needed immediately for urgent business meetings concerning boundary lines of his property. If he didn't attend those meetings, he could end up losing all of his property. And so he had to go, but he insisted that his wife and daughters, his four daughters, go on to England, and he would follow them in a few weeks and be there with them. So they went to New York, and on November 19, 1873, they boarded that vessel and started on their trip toward England. Four days into the journey, they encountered thick fog in the North Atlantic Ocean. And on November 22nd, just before midnight, an English sailing vessel that had an iron hull hit that French luxury liner broadside, in, and it went down in 12 minutes. 226 lives were lost, including Horatio's four daughters. An hour after the accident, his wife Anna was retrieved from those cold, icy waters, barely alive and clinging to a piece of debris from the wreckage. It would be days before she would make port, and when she did, she wired Horatio a two-word message. Saved alone. He was devastated. And in the midst of that devastation and that heartbreak, he held on to God. One of his friends said that Horatio came to him and he made a statement and he said, I'm glad to trust in the Lord when it will cost me something. Can you imagine? How many of you have suffered heartache or heartbreak and, and, and we've pointed a finger at God or, you know, grow, grown angry with God? But this man said, I'm glad to be able to trust in the Lord when it cost me something. He immediately boarded a vessel to join his brokenhearted wife in England and four days into the journey, the captain came to him and told him, as best as I can tell, we're over the spot where the ship went down. He went and he stood at the bow of that ship and he looked out at the watery graves of his daughters. And he said, I felt emotions that I'd never felt in my life. And it seemed like they would consume me. He said, this darkness started to creep in. He said, but then suddenly, the light of God began to fill my heart. 
And I realized that I was going to be reunited with my daughters once again. He said, and it gave me hope. And he said, I wasn't a poet by trade, but I love poetry. And he, he said, all of a sudden, he said, words started coming to me. And I had to rush to my quarters. And he began to put pen to paper. And he recorded one of the most profound statements of faith that have ever been written in the world. And that continued to echo throughout our generation. Two years later to the day, he would meet a songwriter that was famous as his day. His last name was Bliss. I believe it was Joseph Bliss. And he shared his poem with Bliss. And Bliss was so moved by those words that he sat down at a piano. And in, within moments, he gave us one of the greatest hymns that have ever been sung across this world. It is well. It is well, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast Out of so much tragedy was born 
a song that brought hope to so many for so long. God's got a way of taking your tragedies and turning them into triumphs, of birthing something wonderful out of despair. Such was the case in the book of 2 Kings, the fourth chapter in the 25th verse. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel, So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. I want to preach to you for just a little while today on it is well. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, God, that means so much to us and for your life that became that word manifested in flesh. I ask you, Lord, to speak to us today and let us find strength and hope in your presence. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. The story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman is one that's been told throughout the ages, and it bears telling again. Elisha was a prophet with a double portion of God's spirit. He was passing through the town of Shunem, which was a city that was located in the tribe of Issachar. He would frequent that town because of its proximity with Mount Carmel and the school of the prophets. And so he passed through there often And on his first occasion in going through, this very wealthy woman, this well-to-do lady, spotted him, and there was something about him that she knew was different. And she went out to him, and the Scripture says she constrained him, she compelled him, she pleaded with him to come to her house to eat. And that part there is a message in and of itself. Because when you recognize the presence of God and go after it, It'll change your life forever. When you refuse to be dormant or you refuse to be passive about pursuing God, it will change who you are from the inside out. I would have never served God if it had been about coming to church and sitting on a pew. It wouldn't have happened. There was a reality that I found in God that changed me forever. And that's why I'm still here today is because of him, not because of me, but because of him. She invited him, and he seemed to have enjoyed himself so much that he would go by there every time that he came through town, and he would eat with she and her husband. And there's another message, because when you learn how to entertain the presence of God— when you learn how to put aside everything you're going through long enough to sit in his presence and love him for who he is and thank him, not because of what you're going through, but in spite of what you're going through, and just keep your focus on him, he'll keep coming back. I'm not going to preach this message today, but with Mary and Martha, I know they're sisters, but the truth is they're one and the same. Because every individual needs to know how to serve Christ and how to worship Christ. And when those two things come together under one roof, he'll visit that house. (laughs) He'll come by and hang out. How many of you would like Jesus just to hang out with you? (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, there's some folks that, you know, that, that we meet and, you know, and, and, you know, we're cordial with, you know, and it's, it's friendly and everything. We have a good time. But there are other folks that when they show up, you just smile when you see them pull up in your driveway because you know you're getting ready to have a blast. Amen. Do you understand that God is not a killjoy? God is not a depressing God. That was my concept of God when I was a kid because the only thing I knew about God, we would go down. We came to southern Illinois. I I lived up around Chicago. My grandparents were both in southern Illinois, one in a little community outside of Goreville called Sleepy Hollow. Not Sleepy Hollow. (laughs) 
I got chased out of there by Ichabod years ago. No, I, there, was, there was a place called Happy Hollow just outside of Goreville and a little place called Grantsburg outside of Vianna. And that's where my grandparents lived. And my grandfather that lived outside of Grantsburg was, was raised Baptist. And, and, and I didn't know. Look, I, I, you know, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostal, none of those things ever meant anything to me. And don't get offended at me, but they still don't mean anything to me. Because it's not about the name you've got over your church. It's about the relationship you've got in your heart that makes all the difference. And so, Grandpa had this habit of getting up like at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, and he'd, he'd go out and he'd start coffee. And then probably around, I don't know, 6 or so, he turned on the old-time gospel hour. Now, you're laying on a pull-out couch in the living room, and you start hearing an organ going, My first experience with God was not a pleasant one. <laughs> it scared me to death, man. I, I associ- I'd always associated organ music with like a funeral until I heard some folks that knew how to make it happen. <laughs> and so that was, that. and, and if, if you're not careful, if you can get sucked into that mindset and miss the joy of the journey. And so she entertained his presence in such a way that he was always coming back to where that house was. And then she, how many of you ever wanted, how many of you like a visit from the Lord? Wave your hand. Now, how many of you'd like the Lord to come and live with you? Wave your hand. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you rather have the visit or would you rather have the habitation? So if you're going to have habitation, you've got to make room for him. And that's exactly what they did. She looked at her husband and said, look, man, I know this guy's a, a man of God. Let's build a room on the house. Isn't it odd how we get so busy that we crowd God right out of our life? That, well, you know, I've got, I've, I've, I've got, you know, I, I've got things to do. I've got places to be. I've got, you know, I, I'm, I'm so busy with my job. I'm so busy with my kids. I'm so busy with this. I'm so busy with that. I'm so busy. And there's going to come a day, you mark my word. There, I, I've never met a person that got to the end of their life and looked up at me and said, the only thing I'm sorry about is I spent so much time with God. I have talked to some folks that got to the end of it and said, I wished I'd have spent more time with God. Now, I got some good news for you, and I want you to hear what I'm going to say. God's a loving God. And if you fall into that category and and you're saying, Pastor, man, I, I, I just didn't spend the time I needed to, you can start right now. You say, but what, if I, what, what about my friend? What about this one or that one who got to the end of their life? And it, it was, no, there was a thief that was hanging on a cross next to him. And he just looked over with a sincere heart and a broken heart and said, remember me. And that was enough to get him to paradise. It's not his will that any perish, but all have everlasting life. And that's the unique thing about God is he's not a God that that holds a ruler up to you and say, oh, you don't quite measure up. He's a God that opens his arms to you and says, whosoever will, let him come. And so she builds a house for him, and he starts coming by. (laughs) Now she's got a bed in there. She's got a table and a stool in there and a lamp in there, so he cannot just spend the night, but he can study. She knows that she's going to reap a blessing from entertaining the presence of God. And watch what happens. After Elisha's done this for a while, he, he comes by one day, and he's laying in that bed, and he's looking up and thinking, man, this lady's done so much for me, and she's never asked anything of me. Never ask anything of me. How many of you spend time just praising God? Yes. 
You know what I'm talking about? Times where you don't ask God for anything. There are times that I've come into his presence and I've started to, you know, go into the prayer, God, remember this one, remember that one. And I just stopped because I just felt checked in my heart. And I said, God, I don't, I don't want to ask you for anything today. I just want you to know how much I love you, how much I appreciate everything you've done for me. I just love you. She had never asked anything of him. And he starts thinking about it and he said, Gehazi, go get her and bring her in here. Tell her, look, you've, been, you've taken care of us so well. You've, you've been so hospitable to us. And I, I want to know, what can I do for you? Do you want me to speak to you before the king? Now, I don't know which king she, he's talking about. But I know he knew both of them. He knew the king of Israel, but he also knew the king of kings. <laughs> Amen. He said, do you want me to speak to you according to, to the commander? And she said, no, no, I, I live here among my family. You know, I mean, we're well taken care of. I, I don't want anything from you. Wow. When I can live a life for God, when I'm not looking to get something from him, but I'm trying to give something to him. And you hear what I'm going to say. When your heart is in that place, you're going to get something from God whether you're expecting it or not whether you're asking for it or not. So what, what Elisha does is he, she walks out and he looks at Gehazi and he says, man, I, you know, I, there's got to be something we can do for her. And Gehazi said, well, she doesn't have a son, any kids. You know, she's got no son and, and her husband's up in years. And he didn't have to say another word. He said, bring her back in here. She comes back in. He looked at her and he said, by this time next year, you're going to be holding a baby boy in your arms. And she looked at him and said, don't mess with me, man of God. Don't get my hopes up. Don't, don't do that to me. Don't. Have you ever heard something that you thought was too good to be true? Could I introduce you to the God that can make all those things come true? Because he's the God that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you're able to ask or think. She didn't even ask. He just said, you've entertained my presence. I'm going to do something for you that's in the depths of your heart that you've never asked for. Hear what I'm saying today, church. Get your focus on him, and God will reach into the resources of heaven and pull out for you a blessing that you cannot contain. He said, you, you can't, don't mess with me like that. I, I, you know, I, I've been, I, never even, I, I didn't even want to utter that. Don't. But come that time next year. <laughs> she was one happy camper. Years pass by and the boy grows up. He gets up around, we can't be sure how old he is. I, some think he's probably... 10 to 12 years old, and he goes out into the field to work with his daddy because he wants to be with dad, and he gets out there. They're harvesting, and there's no shade, and they're cutting, and it's hard work, and all of a sudden, he starts going, my head, my head. Dad's in the middle of harvesting, and like all dads do when their children are sick, Take him to his mom. He didn't know that the boy was suffering sunstroke. They take him to his mother and she sets with him. I've seen people, I, I've, I've suffered heat exhaustion before, right before I got ready to preach a revival and thought I was going to pass out while I was preaching. My sister suffered it and had to be taken to an emergency room. This wasn't heat exhaustion, this was sunstroke. And she rocks that boy on her arms or in her arms all day long. And the scripture said that he died at noon. And what she does in the face of tragedy determines the outcome for that boy. Sometimes we just bury our promises. Sometimes we're so broken because of what we've gone through that we just 
can't go any further. And we end it right there. And she could have buried that boy, but you know what she did instead? She picked that boy up and she carried him back to the very room that promise was spoken in, placed that boy on that prophet's bed, and she called to her husband and said, send me a servant and a donkey. I want to go see the man of God. He said, what do you want to go to see the man of God for? It's not new moon. It's not Sabbath. What do you want to do? you understand that she's fighting back the pain? She refuses to give voice to the devastation. She will not speak to what's happened, but she looks at her husband and says, it shall be well. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I'm not running off. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm getting up. You may have knocked me down, but I ain't out. It's not over till it's over. She looks at that servant and she said, buddy, you better give this donkey everything it's got. You don't slack your hand from cracking that whip unless I tell you to. Get me to the man of God. He was somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 17 miles away. You know how long that takes to get there? You know what, she, what kind of ride she's experiencing? She's in a, a cart that that thing's pulling and it's... I'm just telling you that the journey's not always smooth. That's not always easy. And sometimes you get jostled around until you feel like your guts are about to fall out. But you hang on because if you'll hold on till you get there, something powerful is getting ready to happen. She gets there and starts toward him, and her focus is on that man of God. Elisha sees her and sends Gehazi and says, Go ask her, how's, what, that's that Shunammite woman. Go, wonder if something's wrong. Go ask her if it's well with her, if it's well with her husband, if it's well with her child. And when he asked her, when he got to that part, is it well with the boy? Every demon in hell raged in her head and screamed, it's over. Give it up. It's done. You can't rock a dead baby. Just give it up. Jesus said, if you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. That's why in Corinthians it says, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Do you understand that when they lay me, if you're around when they lay me in the ground, I want you to, under, I want you to understand something when you're looking at me. I ain't dead. Amen. I ain't dead. Amen. You, you looking at me and thinking, oh, poor pastor. No, 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 man. I'm going to be, you think I get excited down here? <laughs> when I get to heaven, <laughs> the Bible said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's, but she's fighting all this stuff. We've been there, man. We've been there where we've had stuff thrown in our face, our world fall apart and crumbling, and the devil's giving you ample opportunity to fall apart. But instead, she took a deep breath, looked at that servant, and said, it is well. Everybody say it with me. It is well. It is well. Spafford said, I'm glad to be able to trust in the Lord when it cost me something. Doesn't cost you anything when you're on the mountaintop and you say, oh, it's well. Doesn't cost you anything when everything in your world is right and you say, it's well. But when you feel like you're coming apart at the seams and you don't know if you can 
hold on till tomorrow and you choose to say it is well. She wasn't just saying that to Gehazi. She was saying that to hell itself. It is well. I don't care what Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It is well. And she just kept on going. She never lost her stride. She never broke her focus. And when she got to where the presence of God was, she fell down and wrapped around it. If you'll wrap yourself around the presence of God, the presence of God is going to wrap itself around you. Gehazi comes up when she falls at Elisha's feet and grabs him. You remember the story of Ruth? Orpah's gone back to her people. Why don't you just go back? Why don't you just give it up? And she cleaved to her. She dropped down and grabbed hold of Naomi and said, you can't send me away. Where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. What's she doing? She's grabbing a hold. Now watch what she says. She grabs a hold of that prophet, and she said, I never asked you for a son. Those weren't words that came out of my mouth. Those are words that came out of your mouth. And I told you not to play with me. I told you not to toy with me. You couldn't give me just a boy to take him away from me. I never asked you. And Elisha looked at her and he told Gehazi, leave her alone. God hasn't shown me this. He hid it from me. And then when she bears her heart, it doesn't do you any good to just go out and get on AT&T hotline and tell everybody how bad everybody's been to you we had a lady in our old church I don't care if she hears this because I know she's dead (laughs) she's not she's not alive now and I went up to her one Sunday morning I walked up to her and I shook her hand I said hey sis how you doing she looked at me, and I promise you, man, this was before service started. I, she, she looked at me, she grabbed hold of that hand. Well, I'm not doing too good. My children won't listen to me. They're a bunch of, they're just no good. They won't do, they, they, they won't do anything I say. They treat me bad. They, 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 I finally got my hand away from her, and I said, Sister, you got to be doing better than that. Jesus is alive, and I walked off. <laughs> Why did you do that? Because I didn't want none of that stuff getting on me. So you know what to expect from me if you grab me out here. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm messing with it. I'm just kidding. You can do it after service. Don't do it before service. So all of a sudden, I go. You know, next week rolls around. I walk up to her and I said, "Sis, how are you doing today?" She looked at me and she said, "After what you said to me last week, I'm not even going to tell you how I am today." Well, praise God, I kept her from destroying herself. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I'm going to preach on that soon. And I want to talk to you about how words have vibration. That's how they come out. And everything that you see in here today has vibration to it. Even the seat you're sitting on is not solid. (laughs) Now, see, the Scripture said, that those things that are seen were made from those things that are not seen. Atoms cannot be seen, but they, they're what make up everything that you touch. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going back. I'm, I'm getting it. My wife's going, don't go there now. <laughs> so she has grabbed hold of him and she won't let go. He gives his staff to his servant and said, go lay this staff on that boy's head. She's still holding on. No, he's going to go lay his hat. I don't care where he's going. I'm not leaving you. Hear me. I'm not following people. I'm holding on to God. I'm not, I am not taking off because somebody had a dream in the middle of the night and heard something howl at the moon. I am holding on to God. 
and where he goes, I'll go. Even Paul said, you follow me as what? As I follow Christ. If I ain't following him, don't you follow me. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying don't get your eyes on people. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. Because I don't care who they are, people will fail you. Everybody point up here. Point at me. I thought you all had better manners. No, I'm kidding. No, point, point up here. Point up here at me. And everybody say, he's a people. That means I could fail. I pray to God I never do. But you hear me. If I ever fail, that doesn't mean God did. If I ever fail, that doesn't mean that there was something wrong with God. That's on me, not God. You follow God. And so she grabs him and she says, look, I ain't going anywhere unless you go too. And so they walk together. Gehazi's taken off in front of him. Elisha told him, he said, you get out of here, man. Go, don't you say hello to anybody? And if they say hello to you, don't you answer back. You're on a mission. You keep your eyes and your mind focused. We get distracted so easily sometimes. So he takes off, and as he takes off, he lays the staff on the boy's head. And this guy is used to miracles happening whenever Elisha tells him to do something. But nothing Nothing. He comes back and he meets them. He said, Master, I did what you told me, but that boy's still dead. Wonder what that woman felt like. Is it possible that Elisha can't do? Elisha can't, but God can. Elisha got to that house and he walked in that room and he saw that boy and he prayed for that boy and nothing happened. He crawled up on that boy and put his hands on the boy's hands, his mouth on the boy's mouth, his feet on the boy's feet, and the boy's still not alive, but he's getting there. <laughs> the scripture said the boy's flesh began to warm up. Elisha, this is Elisha, the guy with the double portion. This is a guy that's used to taking a stick and putting it on water and watching an axe head float. This is a guy that's used to, it, it, you know, I mean, it just happens like that for him. When it don't happen like that, don't give up. When it don't happen at the snap of a finger, that doesn't mean God's not going to do it. It may mean God's going to find out what you're made of. God's going to find out, will you hold on? Will you keep trusting? Will you keep believing? And all of a sudden, he gets down and he starts walking in the house, and he's going back and forth, and he's thinking, God, you're a God of miracles. I, I know you're able. And he walks back up there, and he gets on that boy again, and that boy jumped up and started sneezing. Seven times. Can I tell you what that's symbolic of? How many of you know that in your nose there's hair? Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, you know what's in there. That hair is a filter to catch all the debris that would get in your lungs. A sneeze is made by God to clean out your system. Some of you need a good sneeze. That boy, this boy's been dead, man. He's dead. He starts sneezing seven times. What seven mean? It's finished, buddy. It's over. It's perfect. He sneezed seven times, jumped up out of that bed, and he brought mama in and said, there's your boy. Why? Because she was willing in the face of tragedy to say, it is well. When he pinned... Those words having looked over that ship. I'm just going to tell you, folks, I don't know what I'd done. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that. I know his heart's broken. I can't even begin to think of what that must have felt like. And I hope to God I never know what that feels like. But he looked out over where his, they never retrieved those bodies. 
He looked out knowing that somewhere in that abyss, my daughters are there. And he said, I started feeling things I never felt in my life. Things that nearly overcame him. A darkness that was trying to pull him in. But suddenly, a burst of light came into that darkness. And he wrote down, when peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When everything's good in life, when peace is flowing my way. And he went from there to when sorrows like sea billows roll. Because that's the moment he was standing in. He watched the, those waves rolling in from the ocean. The sorrow he was experiencing. He said, whatever my lot, whatever I'm going through, you have taught me. You've taught me through your word. Do you understand how valuable this is? I would not have known him without this. This is what changed my life around this. When I, got a, when, when I felt his presence and then all of a sudden I got into that word and he opened it up to me and I couldn't put it down and it was like honey to my mouth and I'd hold on to it and say, God, I, there were times I put it in my mouth and would just bite it. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, I was so overwhelmed by who he was. I, 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 God, I just want to consume this. I want it to get in me. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. What are you saying? You're saying, devil, you need to know that no matter what you've unleashed, my God's big enough, bad enough, rough enough, and got stuff enough to get me through it or I wouldn't be in it because he promised me that I wouldn't go through anything that I'm not able to bear, even though sometimes it seems unbearable. So where are you today? We all got stuff, right? So all, we've all got stuff we go through. Would you stand with me for just a second? Come on. I'm going to end the service a little bit different today. I'm going to let the prayer partners come on up and be up here. If you need prayer, they're here for you. But there's so many things in Scripture. People say, well, symbolism's really not that important. Well, if it's not, God spent an awful lot of time doing it. If it's not that important. I mean, think about it. Spends the entirety of the Old Testament. symbolizing a person that would come and live for 33 and a half years. You're talking about spending thousands of years to foreshadow a life that won't even be here for four decades. (laughs) But it's not about quantity, it's about quality. (laughs) And that life was a life that was going to change the world. So what are you facing today? Whatever it is, you can choose to lift your face and raise your hand and say, God, I know you love me. I don't understand what I'm going through or why I'm going through it, but I know you love me. And I know you're going to get me through this so I choose today to say it is well I'm going to hold on to you I'm going to trust you and it is well I know it's well that you're going to take care of it you're going to 
I, I've got to do this. I don't, I don't know who you guys are. So I apologize. I don't know your names, but I know this. That God, I, I see something that you've gone through, and I don't know what it is. But the shaking that it kind of brought, it's bringing you together. And God is going to, I, I'm just going to give it to you the way it's coming to me, that you're going to see the sun start shining in ways that you never thought you'd see it shine. And you're going to begin to experience joy like you haven't experienced before. Come on, can you just love him with me right now? Just praise him with me. So if you choose to say it's well, I want you to bring it right down to the front here. We're not, I'm not going to keep you long down here, but I just want you as an act of faith, it's you stepping out. It's you stepping out, and don't be afraid, come on. Now, it's you stepping out and saying, look, it's well, it's well. Praise God. You know what that does to the devil when all of a sudden he's been letting you have it and he's been trying to deal his harshest blows to you and you stand up in his face and you say, it is well with my soul because you need to understand something, buddy. You ain't about to take me out. No matter what you do, I'm holding on to God. No matter what I'm facing, I'm not giving up. I've just begun to fight back. It is well. Stretch those hands to heaven with me right now. It's your declaration of faith. Now look, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a weak-kneed, willy-washy, spineless faith. I'm talking about a faith that makes no sense. I'm talking about a faith that stands up in the midst of tragedy and says, you know what? Hallelujah anyhow. Praise God anyhow. I know, I know, I know what I'm going through and I know it hurts, but I choose to praise God anyway. You're not going to get my praise. You're not going to get my testimony. It is well. Say it with me right now. It is well, I know you don't have a clue what you're going to do, where you're going to go, how, what life's going to be, but it's well. You try to you, you, you give your mind a break and just quit trying to figure it out and just say, I know it's well. I know it's well. I know the latter end's going to be better than the beginning. I, I know that my best is in front of me, not behind me. It is well. Get somebody by the hand right now. You got, the, you got their hand? I want you to go like this to their hand. What in the world are you doing? You're priming my well. You, you, you're pumping some well out of me. I'm, you, you need to understand that this stuff goes way down deep in my heart and in my soul. And all you're doing is priming my pump. Because uh, I'm getting ready uh, to let the devil know that God's bigger and he's better and he's able. It is well. It is well. Great. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. I hadn't run in a while, but you, may, you give me just a little bit of space. I'm kidding. I'm out of breath. No, I'm kidding. Stretch those hands to heaven with me right now. Father, we come to you today with a declaration of faith that we believe you. We trust you. No. Everything's not coming up roses in my world. No, everything isn't the way I'd like it to be. But there's one thing constant in my world, and that's you. And I trust you. I believe in you. And I know that you've promised you'll never leave me or forsake me. You've told me that I'm blessed going out and coming in. So I choose today to stand on that and declare it is well with my soul. Come on, give my hand clap of praise in this house. You walk out of this place today, spread some of your faith. No, I know it. Look, come here a second. Stretch your hands to heaven. You're going through some things that you don't understand and you can't figure out. And some of the stuff, I mean, it feels like walls are closing in. And some of it, let's just be honest, and I, don't get offended at me. But some of it was from your own making. Am I right? Okay, here's the deal. 
welcome to my world. It's, you know, we get all, oh, no, no, no. Look, the truth is, is sometimes we do some stuff that we shouldn't have done. We make some, some decisions that weren't good decisions. And now, but you need to understand this, that God doesn't look at that and go, I told you so. God reaches his hand out and said, come on, I'm going to get you out of this. Everything that happens isn't good, but he promised he'll work it for good. So let him work it. For the last, hang on a second. For the last several weeks, it's been like this cloud that's been hanging over you that's dark and it feels like it, your world's closing in. God's saying, I don't care what it feels like. I, I told you to trust me. I, I'm going to take care of it. So raise your hand. In the name of Jesus. I know, God, that you've got it. That you're taking care of it right now. So I just release not just my word. with the devil right now okay this is what I want you to do I want you to take the next 30 seconds I want you to raise your hands and just start praising God just start worshiping God any way you're comfortable just raise your hands and start worshiping God sing it give me a chorus of that again come on come on do it right now do it right now do it right now you're making hell nervous today with a praise on your lips with a song in your heart and a skip in your step but I feel like I'm dragging just skip it just I mean just do it say devil just take that just you know I don't I don't care I, I'm just you know just take that and then when you go out of here you're going to start sharing your faith I'm not talking about, well, you need to come and go to church with me. You know, I'm talking about, man, can I tell you about my best friend? Let me tell you about how good God is. Start sharing that. Then as you share it and you go to bed tonight, I promise you the devil's going to go, thank God they're asleep. But you're going to wake up the next morning. And you're going to say, good morning, Jesus. And then right after you say, good morning, Jesus, say, look out, devil. Look out, devil, because I'm not, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. God bless you today. May the Lord smile on you and cause your face to shine upon you. You're blessed going in and going out in Jesus' name. Refuse and not bombs and guns. Worship is the way. 